Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. An eclectic program today. During the 1 o'clock hour, we will be talking about the plan unveiled by Governor Reavers yesterday that will probably, if he holds true, keep Wisconsin shut down perhaps longer than any other state in the country, his Badger bounce-back plan. After the show ended, I sent out a, a, a tweet. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 And I, it's, it's interesting because I invite you to do something that I wonder if the governor has done, which is actually read the guidelines that President Trump and his commission have set forth for reopening the, the state. Um, and, and I've got, in this tweet I sent out, I, I've got a link to the, those actual guidelines because there, there's something that the governor is either missing or intentionally ignoring. And it, it ties in with the point that I've been trying to make for the last several days. Now, we're going to talk about this in length at the 1 o'clock hour, but, but here's, here's the bottom line of this. Wisconsin is a really big state. Geographically, it's a diverse state. It's lots of, I mean, the distance, you try driving from Racine up to, to Bayfield County, it is a long drive. And COVID-19 and coronavirus is affecting different areas of the state differently. As we talked about extensively yesterday, on Saturday afternoon, I sat down, I, I actually looked at the week-by-week numbers. And the truth is that as far as flattening a curve, that is looking at the spread of, of new cases, um, that has happened in a large portion of Wisconsin. 62 of the 72 Wisconsin counties, week to week from last Saturday, from the previous Saturday, had under 10, 10 or under new cases of COVID-19. Five, 56 of those counties had five or less. 25 counties had no coronavirus cases. Matter of fact, there are still a number of counties in the state of Wisconsin where there's been no reported cases of COVID-19. You, you can't get any flatter th- th- than that. I mean, that that's where your instance, instance is. There, there's nothing. It does not exist. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist in, in other parts of the state. The guidelines the president set forth clearly state that a governor does not have to go all one size fits all in the state. You can go region by region. You can go county by county. And I think it's interesting that instead of saying, hey, look, we're going to look at different regions of the state, and we recognize that what's going on in southeastern Wisconsin or what's going on in Brown County since they just had this huge outbreak at, at one of the meatpacking plants, all right, that, that's different than what's going on in the vast majority of the state. But there's nothing, you can follow the president's guidelines, 
Okay, you can do what, you know, Governor Evers talked about this morning on our air as being, you know, what's it's the, the biggest Republican around. I'm following what he says. Well, well, no, you can follow what he says, and you can approach this on a region-by-region basis if you want to get Wisconsin open. But that's not the approach the governor is taking. And the interesting question that we're going to have to decide is, if the numbers continue to be high, say in southeastern Wisconsin, Milwaukee County, or or whatever, is that going to be a justification for not allowing a large portion of the state where COVID-19 either hasn't shown up or is under control, is the fact that you've got a problem in certain areas of the city of Milwaukee, is that going to be a justification for keeping, I don't know, Eau Claire businesses closed, or La Crosse businesses closed, or main streets all over a good portion of the state closed? We will discuss that in detail the 2 o'clock hour. But if you want to see the guidelines, again, I, I included in my Twitter account, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 Also, just an, an interesting thing, I had a, my 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 degree in college was in business administration before I went to law school, but I, I always wanted to be an, econo- an economist. I, I found economics to be interesting in the extreme, and I had a minor in economics. And there was something that happened yesterday that I just think the, the average person, if you listen to it, you go, how could this possibly be? How could oil be negative? At, at the end of the day yesterday, you probably saw these reports that if you wanted to buy a barrel of oil yesterday, the person selling you the oil would have to pay you $20 to take it. And it's, it's like, how in the world could that be? And I, I, I get it. I, I found, I was trying to figure out the best way to explain it, and actually I, I sent a link. There's a story in all places, the New York Times today, that, that explains, I think, in really simple terms, how it was that oil tended to, ended up being, you know, if you want to take a barrel of crude oil, you know, you have to, you have to pay somebody $30. How could that possibly be? And I sent a link to that story out again. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 if you follow me on Twitter. Here's, here's the bottom line of this, and it's kind of an interesting way of, of economics. If you want to, if you want to try to imagine how this works, think back. There used to be a movie, old movie with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and Don Amici called Trading Places. You might remember Jamie Lee Curtis. It was a really funny movie. came out in, in the 80s, and it, it dealt with commodity futures trading. I actually knew a couple people back in the day who, who made their living as commodity futures traders, and, and what they would do is they would – Essentially, they would they would buy contracts and they would bet on the prices of commodities like like orange juice would would be the thing, you know. Um, all right, they're going to they're going to agree to sell somebody um, a whole bunch of orange juice three months in the future. So what they do is they buy it on a given date and they hope that the value goes up so they they can they can sell it. For example, with oil, the way oil works is. It's, it's not like you go to a grocery store and you buy a roll of toilet paper when you need it. Oil, crude oil, that is, is sold in, in barrels. And what happens is you will have all these traders, N-T-R-A-D-E-R-S, traders. And what they'll do is they're going to sit, say, on, on February 1st. They're going to say, okay, here's the deal. We're going to agree to buy 100,000 barrels of oil. Um, uh, and we're, we agree that we're going to deliver that oil on, on May 1st. Okay, so that, that's the deal. And maybe it's March 1st. So what they do is they, they make the commitment to buy it on March 1st and say it's like 
30 bucks a barrel for the sake of argument. They are hoping they never they don't want the oil. They won't they don't want to take over the oil, but they're hoping that between March 1st when they buy it for $30 and May 1st when they have to deliver it somewhere, they're hoping that the price will go up so they can they can just sell that contract. It's called a futures contract. So they're hoping, hey, you know, we we bought it at 30 and you know, we have to deliver it on May 1st. April 1st, it's gone up to 40. We'll just sell our contract and, and we'll take the difference. We bought it at 30. We sold it at 40. And here we, we just wash our hands of all this. So they're betting the price is going up in the simplest form. Well, what happened with oil is we have such an incredible glut. They're producing like 100,000 barrels a day. What happened is you have all these traders that made commitments a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, that they were going to buy and, and take over all, take all this oil. And a lot of the contracts came up today. That's just how the thing was structured. So let's say they committed to buy a barrel of oil at, at 50 bucks on, on February 1st, hoping it was going to go up. Well, okay, they, they've got to deliver on that contract today. This is the date that a lot of them were coming due. So, What's the value of oil now? Well, the value of oil per barrel on Friday, I think it was trading at 10 bucks. So they've made the commitment that, that hey, we, we paid 50 for it, and, and now, um, you know, it, it's only worth 10. So they're, they're panicking. And they're like, hey, we, we, we don't want oil. We don't, we never wanted this oil. We don't want, we don't have a place to store the oil. These are a lot of times, these are traders that are sitting like in their mom's basement and stuff making these deals. They were just hoping to like flip the stuff. Well, now what's ended up happening is they're looking, oh my God, we got to take delivery on this stuff on, on Tuesday. This would be like yesterday's going on. We, we don't want the oil. We've got to dump these contracts. We've got to get rid of them. And so the bottom just fell out of, fell out of this as these people are just trying to dump the contracts for anything. And it's a really weird situation. Um, candidly, if, if I, w- I was kidding around with my wife today, you know, I mean, candidly, it would be a great time to buy crude oil. You could have scooped in yesterday. And if you, unfortunately, the condo association that I live in doesn't let you put giant uh, tankers of oil in, y- in your driveway. But if they did, it would have been a great time to do that. But because yesterday, I mean, you had all this kind of panic selling that was induced because of these deals. But it, it's just, I mean, the real price of oil isn't hey, we're going to give you the oil and $30. It was just this weird thing that happened in the market. But the bottom line is, for any of us who you know, can't believe that, gee, it could get to a point where if we remember like the Arab oil embargoes in the 1970s, and you remember even not that long ago when gasoline was pushing 4 bucks a gallon, the idea that you know, at least yesterday for a brief moment in time they were – giving you $30 to take a barrel of oil and gasoline, depending on where you go, you know, less than a buck a gallon, in some cases less than 90 cents a gallon, period of time that none of us thought we would ever see. But it's clearly, it's sort of an aberration, and it's really not going to make too much difference to any real person, like I say, unless you have the opportunity to, I don't know, park a whole bunch of tanker trucks full of crude oil in your front yard, and most people don't have the ability to do that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, President Trump um, well, he's decided to use the COVID-19 crisis as a, a mechanism for doing something that I think he's wanted to do for a long time, namely stop people from coming into this country. We will discuss. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Live sporting events? Well, it's been a while. It's probably going to be a while longer for most. But now the NFL Draft is here. It's live, and it's unlike any draft you've ever seen before. Join WTMJ and 94.5 ESPN for the biggest and best 2020 NFL Draft coverage on the radio. Hear from Packers legend Mark Tauscher, voice of the green and gold, Wayne Larrabee, and many more starting at 6 o'clock Thursday night. The 2020 NFL Draft Show presented by Professional Construction, Inc., Palermo's Pizza, White Claw, and Wisconsin On Demand. Please be sure to check that out. All right. Late yesterday, President Trump announced that he intended to close the United States to people trying to immigrate into the country to work and to live. Now, for for a while now, there's been like travel restrictions. You know, people from China aren't allowed to fly into the country. There's been limitations which have been specifically tied to avoiding the spread of COVID-19 and the coronavirus. That's not what the president is talking about here. Under this executive order, the Trump administration says it would no longer approve any applications from a, for foreign, from foreigners to live and work in the United States for what they're describing as an undetermined period of time. This would effectively shut down the legal immigration system. Um, in the same way that the president has you know, talked about closing the borders to illegal immigrations. Um, workers who have received visas to perform specialized jobs in the United States would be denied permission to arrive, although there might be some exceptions to this. But the, the essence of this is that, okay, no more green cards, no more legal immigration if you have family members that are waiting. And we're talking, this is legal immigration. Now, there's two justifications that are being offered. There, there's one, which is, again, the temporary thing of, you know, we, we don't want to contribute to the spread of coronavirus, so we don't want people who might have been, you know, exposed to this coming into the United States. Okay, but this this doesn't just go for visitors. This goes for no green cards, no more legal immigration. And the real reason that they're trying to do this is they they believe that this would reduce pressure on the economic system. The idea being that, hey, during this COVID crisis, what's happened is a lot of Americans, we, we know this, have lost their jobs. Millions and millions of people have lost their jobs, some permanently, some temporarily. The idea being if we eliminate, if we eliminate immigration, that means that you're not going to have people from overseas who are going to come into this country and take advantage, and that's in quotation marks, of our health care system and take jobs that Americans are going to need. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let, let's tee this up. Now, I, whether or not the president unilaterally has the power to do this is, of course, kind of an open question. Um, and my guess is it's probably a bridge too far. But I, I don't want to talk about whether he can legally do it or not. I want to talk about the overall policy. Is the fact that we have extremely high unemployment right now in this country because of the, the mess that was coronavirus, is that a justification for saying no legal immigration 
for the foreseeable future. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And is this the right time for President Trump to pick this fight? My answer is no and no. But we'll discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Should we shut down all legal immigration with the idea of we don't want people from overseas coming over and taking American jobs. We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I understand shutting down the border while we're dealing with the the, the COVID-19, the coronavirus stuff, to stop people who, who might have been exposed overseas from coming into the United States and bringing it with them. But, but that's not what we're really <clears throat> talking about here. We are talking about going beyond that and closing the country to all legal immigration in order to save American jobs. And I have a huge issue with that for reasons I'll explain. But let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my thoughts are, yes, I'm for some uh, banning on Im- immigration, but not totally. Let's have some caveats here. If you've got some brilliant scientists and engineers and medical people that want to immigrate here and help us, uh, they should be allowed in. I'm talking about those people, not, you know, just uh, menial label people just coming in. Well, thanks for the call, Mike. I mean, I guess, but my question is, if you look, I mean, the reality is, and we've said this before, see, I've always drawn a distinction between illegal immigration and legal immigration. There are all sorts of jobs in the United States that that legal immigrants come in and they do because Americans don't want to do them. That's just kind of the reality that's out there. Now, maybe some people are going to say that that's going to change, but I'm not sure. Plus, let's keep in mind what you're talking about. I mean, the people who are in line for the green cards or who have the visas, in many cases, they're, they're close relatives of people who are in the United States. I guess I'm just trying to figure out what problem are you really going to solve by doing this? And is this a fight that you really want to pick at this particular time? Don't we have bigger issues right now, like namely trying to figure out how to get America open? And I think if you talk to, for example, a lot of dairy farmers in, in Wisconsin, all right, the, the, the last thing they want to hear is be told that they can't you know, hire new legal immigrants as opposed to illegal immigrants to help them do their work. Their concern is, hey, we, we want to. We want to get back on our feet again. We want to see milk prices stabilize. We want to be able to avoid having to dump all the milk from these cows. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Last evening, President Trump surprised a lot of people, including a lot of people in his administration, by announcing that he wants to use an executive order to completely and totally shut down all immigration into this country. Now, there's huge legal questions about whether they can do it, but let's put those aside for a minute. We're not talking about illegal immigrants. That's a whole different thing. We're also not talking about temporary shutdowns on people coming into the country for concerns that they, they might spread coronavirus. All right, that I think everybody would argue that the president has the authority to do that. He is talking about, for an indeterminate time, stopping legal immigration, no more visas, no more green cards 
for people, and a lot of times these are going to be relatives of, of people who are living in the U.S., maybe relatives of U.S. citizens. No more people allowed to come in from outside of the country, and the justification is I don't want them competing for jobs with people in this country, given that we, we've had so many people who've lost their jobs over the course of the last month. 855-616-1620. Jenny in Waukesha. Jenny, thanks for waiting. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. What do you think about all this? Well, I always look at it from kind of a family perspective and think about how my family would feel um, if I wasn't protecting them when they're going through something tough and sick. And, of course, I just waited 30 minutes in a Starbucks line, and the minute you picked up my call, I got to the end there. (laughs) Yes, so I apologize. Um, But, um, yeah, so in my opinion... We should just let everything settle down, let things come back to normal, and that should be the least of our worries right now. It's how I would manage my home and how the United States as one big family, I feel, should also look after its family members and treat them the way, you know, that they should be treated in a situation like this. Jenny, before I let you go, I have to to ask you, what was worth waiting in line for 30 minutes at Starbucks? (laughs) Well, I look. I drive by it every single day, and it's always like this. And I haven't been here in a month. And today it was okay. nice out, and I was just in that certain mood where I said, "You know what? Doggone it! I'm getting in that doggone line, and I'm sitting there." And the okay, minute I drove up, and and you said, "Can you talk, Jenny?" And that's when I was at the front of the line. Uh, okay, so- thanks a lot. Thanks. I appreciate you joining us. No, I just, I, I mean, I did a topic on this last week. It's there's a there's a Starbucks with a drive-through right right down the street from where I live, and, and I, I'm not a big Starbucks fan in in general, and I hate to wait for things. But I will tell you, I, I mean, every day when I drive by there, and I, I guess I, I don't go out and drive every day, but you know, whenever I drive by there, and it doesn't matter, you know, what time of the day it is. It's not just like it's first thing in the morning, but it could be three thirty in the afternoon and on weekends and stuff. There's always a line of like 25 or 30 cars it wraps around through the driveway all the way through like this little strip mall where the starbuck is and then it comes out onto the main drag and it's just i i just i i'm kind of like and, and i understand people want normalcy and people are used to their starbucks and and things like that and maybe it's just a form of entertainment people don't have anything to do and i love jenny because she's listening to the program while she's sitting in the starbucks line that's a perfect way to do it but I, I just, just as an aside, I, I don't get that. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hiya, Jeff. Here, here's Hi, my point is he couldn't have picked the worst time for doing this. Down south, it's, it's their picking season. They're, they're, you're seeing fields that are filled with squash, strawberries, uh, because they're having to yeah. dump theirs because they don't have the pickers to do it. And the pickers aren't going to come in there to do it if they think they're going to be picked up. And yeah. uh, the other thing is, we're we're having a heck of a time here in Wisconsin with milk prices, yep. and uh, you got a glut there, and we're dumping milk, and then you're going to end up with the southern states. You've seen strawberries just fields full of strawberries that they had to just dump out in yeah. the fields. It's just the wrong yeah, time guess, to do do something like this. Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for the call, Tom. I guess that's where I see that's where I come down on, and I, I don't, for the life of me understand why President Trump is picking some of the fights that he's picking at this time. For example, I think reasonable people can disagree about whether or not the United States should be paying the lion's share of money to support the World Health Organization, which clearly, I I think, screwed this up 
And clearly, I mean, I think there's reasonable questions that you can ask. Why, though, as we're as we're wrestling with trying to get America open and trying to deal with flattening the curve and all this stuff, why in, in the middle of this, which is really the priority, let, let's figure out how to get this stuff leveled, let's figure out how we can get businesses open, let's figure out how we can keep people safe. And, you know, we can disagree about the best way to go about it, but why, like last week, you come out and say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw this hand grenade into the whole thing with the World Health Organization. There, there may very well be a time when we want to step back and we want to say, gee, why are we sending all this money to support the World Health Organization? That is a fair question. Why you wanted to have this battle last week is just kind of beyond me. And this is, this is what I would say about this particular situation You know, right now. I understand why we want to put limits on travel. That makes perfect sense to me because, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're not having huge outbreaks. I mean, the whole country in one fashion or another, at least most of the country, is under safer at home or shelter at home or don't do unnecessary travel and all those sort of things. So I can understand short term why you, you want to limit people coming into this country from other countries, you know, where we, we don't know what they've been exposed to, et cetera, et cetera. And we've got enough problems trying to contain outbreaks already without inviting an influx of you know, a couple hundred thousand people. I think there were uh, somewhere around 460,000 visas that were um, issued last last year. So I can, I mean, I understand. It makes sense to me, given what we're dealing with now, why do we want to just, just add on that even once you, you open up the, the country on a limited basis, do you really want to be dealing with the, infl- the influx of a few hundred thousand more people, at least short term? But the president's talking about long term, saying, okay, I, I just, I don't want people from overseas competing for these jobs well at to the point that tom was making and i agree completely there's even with what are going to be huge unemployment levels my guess is there's still going to be all sorts of work out there that even unemployed americans aren't going to be rushing to do and the strawberries need to get picked the the cow the cows need to get you know milked all those different sort of things. And again, we're not talking about illegal immigration. We're talking about people who otherwise are, are coming in here, you know, uh, in a legal fashion. Here's a text from one of our listeners, Jeff. Trump must exasperate his inner circle at times with his ability to focus uh, tirelessly on a particular challenge, then inexplicably head down some random path. Don't we have bigger fish to fry right now than this? Um, yeah, that that would be the issue. Uh, Jeff, on the U.S. Farm Report. They said blueberry and tomato farmers in the South have their crops spoiling on the vine because the migrant workers can't get in to pick it. U.S. workers won't do it, and these farmers might go bankrupt for losing the crop. There goes our vegetable prices. Well, yeah, that's. I guess that's. That is my point. It's one thing to say we want to keep the country safe because we don't want an influx of people from a country where, you know, we, we don't know what the standards are. But this idea that we're going to shut the country down to, to all immigrants, you know, all immigrants, regardless of what their skill level is, on the hope that, I don't know, gee, somebody who, you know, lost their retail job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is suddenly going to want to move to the northwest part of the state and start milking dairy cows, I, I you know, or, or, or whatever, I think, you know, very very questionable as to why we're fighting this battle at this point in time. Okay, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So how are you sleeping? I, I, I ask this because this is it is a stressful time. I mean, maybe, no, look, I understand it, it's a stressful time. If, if you are working and you're one of the essential workers and, and you're going to the grocery store and you're a checkout person or you're a stock person, okay, it, it's stressful because, you know, you're, you're dealing with doing your job. At the same time, you're obviously worried about getting sick. If you're a truck driver, or an Amazon driver, or I just saw my friend with the U.S. Postal Service drive by my house, drop off the mail. You know, you're delivering mail. Okay, you, you've got that stress, so you're, you're out and about. You're employed, but you still got the stress of having to go to work. Maybe there's the other degree of stress that maybe you're, 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 you've been laid off, or you um, are afraid that you're going to be laid off, or maybe you've had to, to take a pay cut, or you don't know whether your business is going to be able to survive. So there's all that stress that's out there. And then there's this overarching concern that, you know, people, you know, may, maybe you're going to get sick. You, you can't turn on the news. You can't turn on the radio. You can't turn on the television. You can't go to a news site on the Internet without seeing these screaming headlines about, okay, this is the current death total wherever you, you live, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got all this stuff going on. So there are all these stressors that, that are definitely out there brought on by various concerns about coronavirus. My question to you is, how are you sleeping? How is this affecting you? Have your sleep patterns changed dramatically, and have they changed for the worse? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I ask this because there, there's a new study that came out, uh, well, just within the last couple days. They, they surveyed you know, about a 1,000 Americans on their sleep habits, and... About three-quarters of people, 76.8%, actually more than three-quarters of the respondents, said that, um, yeah, their, their sleep has been screwed up by what's been going on in the world. And in general, the response has been, hey, we're, 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 not, we're not sleeping well. Insomnia is, insomnia is, is prevalent. Uh, the majority, 48%, said when they asked, okay, what, what, what do you think is keeping you up? Their number one response was anxiety. We're just anxious. We're nervous about the situation. Um, 25% said we're worried about the safety of loved ones. And then another large group that said they're just, um, it's loneliness. They're just, they, they miss the ability to contact, have contact with other people, family, friends, whatever. And, and that's a worry that's contributing to it. So, how are you sleeping during this? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me take a quick break to give Gruen and Studio an opportunity to line up the calls, and then we're going to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mike. Mark, how are you sleeping? Uh, uh, as best I can, but, uh, well, to be honest, it is a little nerve-wracking. Uh, I am a locksmith, so as a trade worker, we're still essential. We're still going out and uh, doing service calls that need to be done. And uh, on top of that, I happen to be diabetic, so I'm already in a risky group there. Uh, all I'm doing is uh, wearing masks and gloves everywhere as much as I can, uh, washing my hands more times than I can count. Uh, that's really all you can do. It is. Do you stay up at night worrying about this? 
Uh, I've been going to sleep a little bit later and trying to uh, get up a little bit earlier to make sure I'm fully prepared. Uh, the other day I caught in my face with my gloves on, so I cursed at myself, threw those gloves away, got another pair on, went back to work thinking, oh, I hope that wasn't the, the shot that got me. But uh, hey, God, all we got to yeah. do is uh, try to do the best we can. No, thanks for the call, Mark. I appreciate it. And thanks for all you do. I mean, that, that, that is, I mean, there's just, when you think about it, there's, there's all these different stresses that are out there, whether it's, okay, I gotta go to work, and, cause I have, I'm essential, and this is the job, et cetera, et cetera, and I gotta do that, or the people, I have a note here from somebody who says, um, gee, Jeff, I, I lost my job on March 13th. I, I'm home with three kids, ages four, two, and five months. My wife is trying to work from the home office. I'm watching the kids like a hawk for eight hours. Um, we don't sleep much because of the newborn. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand. He says alcohol is about the only answer. Paul from Bayview says, I sleep just fine. I drink bourbon. I, I, I drink bourbon too, but actually, I don't think, I think I drink less now than I did before. See, in, in my particular case, I, I think it drives one of the many things I do that drive my wife crazy. I, I sleep just fine. Um, part of it is I'm exhausted by the end of the day. The, the job, and, and, and look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not on the front lines like a lot of people are, but it's just, it is a more stressful sort of thing. People are on edge. I think we're all on edge. You know, glad to be working, no question about that. But still, it's just, it is a stressful time. I, I do, I worry about my family. I worry about my friends, um, including some who are particularly vulnerable. And you think, gosh, I, I just, I, I don't want to see this person or that person, you know, ever get exposed to something like this. Am I worried about getting it myself? Well, a little bit, but, but I think I would end up being fine. But for people who are much more vulnerable in those groups, you don't want to see that at all. But nevertheless, so I think I'm just, by the time I go to bed at night, I am just flat out exhausted. Stephanie in Racine. Stephanie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey there, guys. Um, it's hi, crazy. Stephanie. We have, hi, we have a 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, of course, that aren't going to school right now. And their social life kind of begins at midnight, and they're on video games all night. And we can hear them giggling and laughing, and I'm getting up at 3 in the morning telling my kids to go to bed. (laughs) And then they're sleeping in until 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It is insane. <laughs> so, so it's not so much the uh, circumstances of what's going on in the world that are that are costing you no. sleep. It's that the it's the damn kids are home, you know, and they're and and, and they're they're in their yeah. midsummer mode. Yeah, they I. Uh, totally, yeah. There, there you go. Well, thanks happy. for the call. I appreciate. It. Well, that's no, that's. I, I mean, I, I think that's one of the dynamics that's there too. Here's a text, Jeff. Funny you bring this up. I was on a televisit with my doctor this morning, and this issue came up. I'm still working, but I'm not sleeping well at all. I cannot fall asleep and then wake up often feeling anxious. For what reason, I don't know. Um, thank you. I now have a better answer than my doctor gave me. Well, I, I just, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I, I think part of it, and, and actually this is, this is kind of the advice that I, I've been giving to people, you know, I, I think you need to get away from it. I mean, I, I find my, myself needing to get a, away from this. And, you know, my, my wife was, she, she would spend hours, like, you know, watching, watching the, the news on, on, on cable TV at night. And, I mean, I understand if, if, that's, if that's all you're going to watch, 
and, and that's all you're going to bombard yourself with all your waking hours, you're going to have nightmares. There, there's no question about it. So I, I mean, I was kind of kidding around. I'd say, okay, that's what the Hallmark Channel is there for. I mean, I make a point uh, of when when I shut down for for the day and this period of time before I start trying to ramp up to figure out what the radio show is going to be the next day, I, I make a point of trying to say, okay, I just I want mindless entertainment. I mean, it, I, I want I don't care what I'm going to watch, but I, I don't want it to be something that's going to obsess about, gee, how many how many people were tested positive for coronavirus or how many PPEs are out there. I, I think we all need to have those kind of getaways, those times when you can can shut down and just I'm going to play catch with the dog and just not think about anything else because otherwise it does end up keeping you awake and and that doesn't help that just makes it more susceptible makes your life more miserable and it makes you more susceptible to getting sick so away for a little bit that's okay get better we'll get through it back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So Governor Evers was on our air earlier this morning with Steve Scafidi. Here's what he said. Here's the deal. I just accepted the biggest Republican of the country, his plan, because it's a rational plan. So if the state Republicans don't think Donald Trump's plan is appropriate, they can deal with Donald Trump. I I get um, it's logical. It's based on metrics. It's based on science, etc., etc. So he's saying, look, this, this is this is why I'm doing this is I've got my plan and I, I'm following the president's guidelines. And, and here's the deal. You know, we're, we're not going to consider opening up the state until we have for 14 consecutive days. We have a decline in the number of coronavirus cases and we have more testing. Well, OK, just, just so you understand, as a practical matter, interpreted literally, we would probably be the last state to open up because as you do more testing, all right, that you're, you're going to get more positive results. That, that, that's going to be the case. So, I mean, Lord knows how much longer that, that's going to be. He's not talking about we're, we're, not, we're going to look at the percentage decrease. He's talking about the, the raw numbers. All right, that, that's, that's fine. But I was kind of curious about what the governor was saying. Is this really the president's plan? And the answer is, I don't think so. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I actually went and I, I pulled up the, the president's plan, and I'm looking at it now, um, opening the guidelines for opening America up again. And, and yes, it's got a you know, downward trajectory of positive cases as a percent of total tests within a 14-day period, Downward trajectory of documented cases within a 14-day period. You know, I, either one, you can either do it as a percent or the number of cases. I, I don't hear the governor talking about it as a percent, which would seem to be more make more sense. But here's what really caught my attention. The governor talks about opening up the state as a whole. And I understand for the last day or two I, I've been on this because the, the reality is Wisconsin is a big state. And the COVID, COVID-19, the coronavirus, is not impacting the state equally. Here's what the guidelines that the governor says he wants to follow say. And I'm quoting, state and local officials may need to tailor the application of these criteria to local circumstances. State and local officials may need to tailor the application of these criteria to local circumstances. Then it says, for example, 
metropolitan areas that have suffered severe COVID outbreaks versus rural and suburban areas where outbreaks have not occurred or have been mild. Okay? So the guidelines say that one size doesn't have to fit all, which brings me back to Wisconsin and the point that I've been trying to make for the last several days. If you look at the state and you look at the incidence and the growth of coronavirus, and I know I've been saying this for the last day and a half, but but 72 counties, week to week, last Saturday to the previous Saturday, 62 had less than 10 coronavirus outbreaks. 56 of those 62 had five or less. 25 counties had no new cases of coronavirus. As a matter of fact, if you look at the numbers where you saw statewide the the growth, it was, uh, again, Milwaukee County, 412 cases from one Saturday to the next. You had this outbreak uh, in Brown County that looks to me like it's mostly tied to this meatpacking plant, but it it could also be tied to a nursing home. So Brown County had a lot. You had Milwaukee County that had a lot. Waukesha County had at 58, Walworth County at 54, but you had entire regions of the state where there were little or no examples of coronavirus. Eau Claire County, all right, you, you had one over that week, one in Eau Claire. La Crosse, La Crosse had no increase at all from week to week. So there's no growth at all. You flatten the curve. You've leveled this out. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're going to follow the president's guidelines, and that's going to be the model, don't you have to follow the president's guidelines? And shouldn't we be talking about a regional approach to this? And, I mean, I, I don't know if you do it county by county or maybe you do it area by area, but shouldn't we be talking about a regional approach to this as opposed to saying to areas of the state that have had little or no impact, here, you know, we're, of course you, we want you to maintain social distancing. And, of course, you know, if the bars, the restaurants open up, you know, we, we want you to, uh, again, follow these various rules like the Tavern League is talking about where they say, okay, limited to half the capacity and the servers have to wear masks and gloves and, you know, we're no tables of more than six, all these different things. You know, nobody is just automatically saying, boom, you know, we, we flipped the switch in Wisconsin Rapids because there's little or no COVID-19 up there, and so automatically three, four, five thousand 5,000 people pour into the stadium to watch the, the timber rattlers play. Nobody is arguing that. But as far as starting a gradual reopening, shouldn't we be doing it region by region, if you don't like county by county, but region by region, recognizing that this has not been something that has impacted the entire state in the same way? Because I have to tell you something, if I were a small business person on a shuttered main street in, I don't know, La Crosse or Eau Claire County or something, where there's no no new cases of COVID-19, I'm sitting there and i got to be wondering, okay, why is my business being shut down? Why am I on the verge of laying off all my employees, losing this business I've worked for? Because 
gee, they had they had an outbreak or they haven't been able to, you know, keep control of what's been going on in the nursing homes and the prisons in southeastern Wisconsin. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The guidelines allow a regional approach to this. Wouldn't it be smart to say we're going to take a regional approach to this? And and again, and then you keep monitoring it. If all of a sudden you find out that there's been another outbreak of, of a hot spot, gee, all of a sudden we've seen the numbers go absolutely, you know, uh, crazy in La Crosse or Eau Claire or you know, somewhere else. Okay, then, then you then you swoop in and you say, okay, let's figure out, you know, what's going on here. Gee, did, did we have a bar where, you know, even with these social distancing restrictions or this restaurant or the, the flower shop on Main Street, you know, did, did that end up being a, a source of spread? So, you know, we, we've seen a growth. Well, if that's the case, you can always try to isolate that and move it in. But does, does one size fits all make any sense at all? And like, like I say, you, you can't just dump it off and say, I'm following the president's guidelines, because the president's guidelines encourage or at least allow you to take a community-by-community community approach based on the recognition that in a densely populated urban area, the impact is going to be different than, okay, maybe some uh, the suburbs. 855-616-1620. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620. Here's some text. Valerie in West Bend says, agree with you, Jeff. What will it take for the governor to understand what's going on? Here's a text. Look for correlations like population density, use of mass transit, number of elevators, and base it on actual cases. Yep, see, that's... That's it. There, there are differences. New York City is different than Milwaukee. New York City is different than Los Angeles. Milwaukee is different than Eau Claire. Milwaukee is different than La Crosse. You are starting to see that play out in, in, in the numbers. And I guess, I mean, I, it, to me, it, it makes sense. Okay, we don't want to rush to reopen, and nobody is saying, Let, let's just go back to the way it was three months ago. I mean, when you reopen, you reopen with social distancing. I think a lot of people are aware of that to begin with. You limit the size of groups. I mean, all of that, you do it in a responsible fashion, but you know, maybe it's time to start opening up businesses, particularly those areas, uh, those businesses that are located in areas where there isn't any significant amount of, of COVID-19 and where if you looked just on a county or even like a, a couple county basis or a regional basis, you, you would find, I think, pretty surely that, gee, we, we haven't had, you know, we, we've had a steady decrease in the number of coronavirus cases or in some cases we got none. And we've had none for the last X number of weeks. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to uh, Ed in Oconomowoc. Ed, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, have, you spent sure. mu- have you spent much time on the Wisconsin Department of Health Services website? From time to time, I check in the numbers, yep. So what, what's your question? Yep. Yeah. I, I, well, I totally agree with you that this is a numbers-driven game. we got to look at the numbers. On today's uh, on the site today, they have 358 hospitalized cases uh, with patients with COVID in this whole state today. Right of that number, to, of that number, 285. So that leaves 73 patients in hospital for the whole rest of the state. You know, I really I, 73. I, 
hospitalized. Ask me how. Ask me if I know how many hospital rooms there are in Wisconsin, because I do know that it's about it's it's a little bit under twelve thousand, like eleven thousand nine hundred or something hospital rooms ballpark. Right, and right. this site also lets you do that by region. So, as an example, right now I'm looking at the southeast region, uh, one thousand three hundred sixty-three beds immediately available. Um, 285 COVID patients. So even in that most affected region, you know, you're way underneath what the capacity is. Right. And that's one of the criteria. I mean, obviously, that was the whole idea behind the the flattening the curve stuff. You don't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed. And what you're saying is that that hasn't that hasn't happened at all, (laughs) at all. That that hasn't happened at at all. And if to look at it, it's hospital capabilities. So I encourage right. listeners, encourage you to see that. You know, and you can look county by county. It has the number of ventilators on hand for each region, the number of people that are using ventilation, as well as hospital beds. And you know, this is a numbers thing. And I hate, yeah. um, I, I hate to reduce it to that because you know people are losing their lives about it. But we can't sit with 150 new cases a day and ride this out for as long as it would take at that rate you know, for it to run its course and, and wait to reopen. Well, well, yeah. Well, right, especially since, and this is something that I think a lot of people lose sight of, until we come up with a vaccination or some magic pill that acts as a cure, coronavirus, COVID-19 is going to be with us. And, and so, I mean, you're, you're always going to have people who, who get it. You're always going to have a certain number of people who are, are getting sick. And my guess is that number is going to kind of go up and down, you know, o- over time. What you want to do is you want to manage that number, to your point, so you don't overwhelm the, the health care system. So, oh, my God, we've got, you know, just, just mounds of people with nowhere to, you know, tons of people with nowhere to go. But that hasn't played out. And, and I guess I just don't see it playing out. And at least I don't see it playing out over the course of the next several months. Absolutely, and I think that you need now to loosen the belt, you know, the stranglehold a notch. Wait a week or two, see what the result is, loosen another notch. Yeah, because exactly. Because we have no, so many co- measures in place, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, th- right, thanks for calling. And that's that's what I'm saying, too. I mean, I, I get these texts from people saying, oh, you don't care about whether people die or not. Well, of course, but but it's all about managing this. If you accept the basic premise that, that people are going to continue to get COVID-19. And, and I mean, I, I think that's just, that's kind of the reality. But that's been that whole notion of flattening the curve. You you don't want to overwhelm the hospital system. And and down here in southeastern Wisconsin, we've just spent a couple million dollars. I, I'm not, I, and I'm not against this, by the way. We, we've taken, what, the Expo Center at State Fair, and they've converted that into this giant hospital that with all these extra beds that they will in all likelihood hopefully never have to use because we're not close to draining hospital capability. I mean, the big, if you want to look at, at the healthcare thing, industry, the, the big issue, quite candidly, I think, is that we've, we've taken hospitals and we've, we, they, what they've ended up having to do is they've had to convert all sorts of other stuff into areas where they could, in case there was a rush of COVID-19 patients, be prepared. So you've had all the elective surgeries that have gone by. I was talking about this the other day. I have friends who are nurses. They're telling me there's nurses getting laid off right and left because 
I mean, they're not emergency room nurses. They, they don't work in, in that those areas. But because, hey, if, if you're, you know, they're not doing colonoscopies now. You know, we're not doing knee replacements. We're not doing any of these other sort of treatments. We're delaying everything else. Oh, you have that, that mole that, you know, may be precancerous. Well, well, we'll take that off some other time. All that stuff is on hold right now in anticipation of this wave of COVID-19 cases, which which at least hasn't come so far. And that's a good thing. Don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. But the question becomes, how long can you delay this, particularly in, in areas where there's been little or no instances of this? Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jim. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Caller. Yeah, he stole your previous caller, you know, touched on what I was concerned with, too. But, yeah, you know, like you were saying with the hospitals, they have to keep rolling, too. And there's a lot of people that are sitting idle. They're losing money. And you can't shut them down too long either. But, you know, this morning when Steve Scafidi had the governor on and they had that other guest, I just hear a lot of fear that, well, we don't have this bed space up north in some of these other areas. But under those circumstances, you could just drag drag this out for another year or so. I mean, where's the end game? That's why I I think if if he doesn't, you know, May 11th, I heard, is the 60-day deadline for the governor based on what Mr. Essenberg has been talking about, if I have that right. Yeah, now the governor doesn't buy that. The governor thinks he has unlimited authority to, to through the health department to extend orders as for an unlimited period of time. So, and I don't know what yeah. the court's well, going to decide. Yeah, but seeing, it seems to be that everybody's kind of in agreement here that if this is all about the hospitals, well, the, like you just said, the hospitals have been furloughing people left and right. This is not a good situation for the hospitals either. And you got to get get them back up and running as well. And I think if he doesn't want to start giving everybody some kind of certainty after May 11th or at least after the 26th of May, I think, you know, you're going to have to take some kind of legal action on him because you just can't drag this out forever off of fear because that's what I heard this morning. This is all being based on fear that we're, gonna, we're not going to have the space. But those numbers, like your previous caller touched on, that hasn't shown up. No, it, it had no th- thanks to call. It hasn't. And it, it, I guess thanks to call. Sam, and I guess I, I keep thinking, you know, is it possible that you're going to have spikes moving forward? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it's possible that you're going to have spikes. But at least so far, first of all, you've got little or nothing. And, and even if you have a spike, why do we assume that that's going to overwhelm a, a, a healthcare system if, if 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 it hasn't? And and OK, this isn't 1880. I mean, it's the state of Wisconsin. So even if you have a spike in a particular area because, all right, again, you've had this hot spot that flares up and suddenly the hospital system becomes overwhelmed in that particular area. Well, we we do have these things like like called automobiles and stuff. So you move a couple of the patients. You say, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to, we don't have room. Oh, my God, we've we've just had this spike in this particular area and now we don't have enough beds here. So, okay, we're going to move you three counties over. All right, we, we do that. We transfer people all the time. Is that an ideal situation? No, but... It's it's the possibility that, that's there. I'm just saying, don't we have to be reasonable about this? And if we're going to say, let's look at the follow the White House guidelines, the White House guidelines let you do it on a regional basis. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 
I love that commercial. Looking up the definition of quixotic. You know, quixotic, um, I, I, it's, it's one of my favorite college reading words, but, you know, I... <laughs> You know, just it's it's kind of difficult to work into conversations. If you don't know, quixotic is it means sort of like it's impractical. Um, it's you got especially when it comes to like ideals, like like um, you know Don Quixote was you know had was tilting at windmills and he had this this idea of chivalry and stuff that was unrealistic. That that that's quixotic. You know, impractical as you chase ideals and things like that. Love that word. Absolutely love that word. And you know, you get a lot of points if you. Can and play it in Scrabble or Words with Friends or something like that. So you know, keep that in mind. Love that word. Okay. As we were talking about in the last segment, the in, in Wisconsin, and it's, it's no surprise, coronavirus has had a particularly magnified impact in the, the more urban areas. It, it, what, about half approximately of all the COVID-19 cases in the state originate in Milwaukee County, and at least, I haven't run the numbers in the last couple days, but at least as of a couple days ago, three-quarters of the Milwaukee County numbers came from the city of Milwaukee, all right? And let's let, let's put aside the, the nursing homes and the, the prisons and things like that. It's easy to understand why those numbers are what, what they are. It's because of population concentration and density. Do you wonder why a good percentage of the COVID-19 cases in the country come from New York? Well, well, no, it makes sense because New York has the most, the greatest population density of any city in the country. You know, you have like lots and lots of people, you know, crammed into a relatively small amount of area and people are living in these different buildings and everybody's going down the same staircase and everybody's getting in the same elevator and pushing the same buttons. I mean, it's it's that. And you, you've got in New York, for example, almost nobody owns cars, so you're you're dependent on the cabs. So you got people jumping in and out of cabs, and the buses, and the subways, and everybody's riding that, and everybody's touching the same things. So given that that density and that concentration, it's it's not surprising to understand why, you know, New York is an epicenter. Explains why New York, for example, has more cases of COVID nineteen than than Los Angeles does, because. Uh, Los Angeles, even though it's a huge city, you don't have that population density that you have in in New York. Got a lot of people, but it's a different kind of dynamic. Now, I'm not saying that people don't live in high-rise apartment buildings in Los Angeles; they, they do, but it's it's more it's more spread out. So, in these urban areas, particularly the ones that that have the high concentrations, you see a, a greater you know, greater instance of this. And that plays out to a lesser extent in, in the city of Milwaukee. You've got more, you've got a higher concentration of population, more dependency on mass transit, all these different things, which explains one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why more cases of coronavirus in Milwaukee County, and particularly in the city, than than elsewhere. And that is either raw numbers or, or percentage-wise. Okay, so what, what, got me thinking about, you know, where do we go from here? And I'm trying to be forward-looking and trying to figure out what what does the other side of the curve, what does the other side of the hill look like? And will, will what we have been going through now change people's approach to thing, things? For example, um, there has recently been kind of a migration back to, to urban areas, particularly among younger people. You have more and more younger people who are saying, okay, we, we, we 
our dream isn't to live in the suburbs with uh, you know the 2.3 kids and the picket fence and the dog. We we want to live in in the urban areas. We want to be in those places where we're all together, where we can walk to the bars, where we can pile onto the the trolley and we can take that you know to the different places. This is what we want. We want to be congested. We want to be close. We want to be all that. New York Times has a big piece talking about how following coronavirus where we recognize that, that population density is one of the factors that leads to the spread of this. The, the piece is a lot of younger people saying, you know what, moving forward, this is making us rethink our entire approach to the whole idea of, of where we want to live. And it's making us question whether or not, gee, do we really want to be in, in these urban areas? Do we really want to have that apartment in the high-rise where we're there with, I don't know, you know, a couple thousand other people who live in the same apartment building, and we're all touching the same buttons on the elevator? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am genuinely intrigued by this. Do you think that this is going to make, and by this I mean what we're going through now, the the spread of coronavirus, do you think this is going to make people less likely to want to live in highly dense places, lots of concentration, particularly urban areas? Is this going to be something that's going to make people rethink whether or not, gee, do I really want to live in that high-rise? And, and the piece in the New York Times is this said that they're, they're really a lot of people are really worried about whether what this is going to do to New York, um, short term and long term, because they think that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, you know, we don't want to go through this uh, again. And the idea of being with all these people, well, okay, there might have some appeal, but it's got some things that we don't like. Okay, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this going to make people be more reluctant? to want to live in cities. And my answer, I'm talking about large cities, and my answer is I don't see how it can't make some people more reluctant to want to live in, in large cities because, you know, who knows ne- what the next COVID-19 is going to be. And if you're crammed into all these areas, you've got nowhere to run. You've got nowhere to hide. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this going to hurt cities as far as people wanting to live there we discuss in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on jeff wagner wtmj this is jeff wagner on wtmj 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line i guess i just don't see how at least for the foreseeable future this can't this being the coronavirus outbreak can't make some people rethink decisions about, gee, do I want to live in dense urban areas? Do I want to be, on the one hand, hey, it's great. I I live in this giant apartment building, and I'm here with a couple thousand other people, and I don't need a car, and you walk out onto the crowded streets, and there's all this stuff, and everybody lives in these big apartment buildings and things like that. Well, okay, that's fine. You've got the excitement. You've got the hustle and bustle of the city, but you also have just a, a breeding ground for coronavirus. It's no surprise to me when you look at it that, that New York City is the epicenter of this, that you got a lot of problems in Chicago. You've got a lot of problems in Detroit. John in Wauwatosa. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for calling. What do you think? Yeah, so 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I'm not a scientist and I'm not a physician. I think the thing that is interesting is two months ago, I wasn't sure about any of this. And now I'm very serious about how is this going to go forward in our lives in regards to is this the only virus? Is there going to be a second stage? Is there going to be something mm-hmm. else? And so with that, um, I totally agree with you. I just happened to turn your show on and I you know, felt so compelled. It's like I've got, I'm 55, I've got young kids, I've got millennial nieces and nephews. They're all trying to figure it out. Um, you know, we just got to get through this. But I think it, yeah. it, it forces the issue to be serious about what, what is this going to look like after this? Yeah, I think thanks for call, John. I appreciate it. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, that's, I mean, one of the things that's been been driving the increase in urban areas. It's it's the millennials who come down there, but it's also a lot of the empty nesters who, you know, want to be you know downtown, closer to the action, so you can walk to your restaurants and you know walk to the ball games and things like that. And that's all great, but at the same time, you are in, uh, you know, you're you're, you're in in elevation for. When I was in law school for a couple of years, I lived in Juneau Village, downtown, you know, big high rise. I was on the 20th floor. I had this little studio apartment. And I, I mean, you're, I'm trying to think there were like, like 10, 12 units or something on the floor. Maybe, maybe more than that. I forget. And everybody would share the same elevators and you'd see the same people and stuff. But if, you know, you're, you're in this confined space. And I, I have to tell you, after, not that I've ever had an overwhelming desire to like move back downtown. I, I kind of I like being close to downtown to be able to go and take advantage of some of the things that are there. But I mean, living in these giant high rises and stuff. I mean, if you look at one of the big problems that we have now, and, and where you're starting to see some of the explosions of numbers, and for whatever reason, the state's been quiet about this. It, it's been a lot of the nursing homes. I mean, my guess is it's just a guess, but I think it's an educated guess. My guess is when you go when we go back afterwards and you look at the number of COVID nineteen cases, you're going to find. 15 to 20 percent come from nursing homes. Why? Because you've got a vulnerable population, number one. And number two, everybody's in this confined area. And at some point in time on the program, we're going to talk about, you know, what the future is for nursing homes and things like that. But, you know, everybody's in this confined area. Everybody's eating in the same lunchroom. Everybody's walking down the the same hallways. And all you need is that one person to come in and, I don't don't know, they haven't washed their hands or whatever, and they're a carrier, and they touch a railing or something, and everybody else touches the railing, and then it it spreads. I mean, this is one of those kind of dynamics that's there, and I think it's going to be something that's going to be in people's mind. Stephanie, calling us from Illinois. Stephanie? here on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. Good to talk to you. Um, Naperville is a suburb, oh, you're welcome, is a suburb of Chicago, and my husband actually takes the train in and works down in the loop, and um, that is a whole virus mess in itself, (laughs) but um, we have been considering for our retirement to move to Madison and get some land, and this virus has really pushed us to maybe uh, accelerate that uh, Mm-hmm. That being said, we had also considered getting a condo in downtown Chicago, and we, we definitely will not be doing that now, um, especially after our trip to New York in November and how close together everyone is. It's really made us rethink how we kind of want to retire and spend the rest of our, uh, our lives. 
Well, yeah, and, and you can, I mean, look, and I mean, there, there, are, there is an appeal to the urban lifestyle. I mean, you, you get a condo in downtown Chicago, and you're, you're close to the bars, you're close to the restaurants, you've got the shopping that's there, you've got the theaters, all that stuff. I mean, I understand the appeal of yeah. that, but like you say, you're, you're, in a, you're in a little condo, you're, or maybe you're looking at a high-rise building, all those people closed in together, you're using the same sort of public transit, and, and yes, I'm, I can imagine it taking, the, taking the L. It's, I mean, again, it's, you just don't know who, who it was that sat in that seat right before you got into the seat. I, I, it would be a terrifying oh, sort of thing. Absolutely. It is. No, thank you. It is. My husband is quite a germaphobe now from the train. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. I mean, no, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. No, I mean, I can, I I mean, now look, we, we, can you just imagine this for a second? All right, we, we have golf courses that I guess the the governor has decided in his, that he's, he's going to allow golf courses to open up at the end of the week, but no golf carts. And, and the concern and the thinking is, gee, okay, you and three of your buddies can pile in your SUV, you can drive to the golf course, you can park, and you can get out, but you can't get in two outdoor golf clubs, uh, golf, golf carts. Okay, well, but, but the concern with golf carts, I guess, is, gee, they haven't been wiped down appropriately. And so maybe the person that used the golf cart before you, they might have had something, so you touch the steering wheel or whatever, and, and you end up picking it up. Now, I it seems to me that's kind of an unreasoning sort of reaction. But imagine what she was talking about, what Stephanie was talking about. You know, when you're on the public transit, can you imagine a husband's got to go to work? He works downtown Chicago. You get on that, that train, you get on the L, and you you don't know who's been there before you. You know, and so you're I, – I, I don't know that I would be a germaphobe either, but I can tell you that if, if I were in that situation and I was taking that, I'd be sitting there probably with gloves, probably wearing the mask, and definitely with my thing of hand sanitizer and one of the wipes because I'm wiping off I'd be wiping off the handrail and the seat and then you know I'd be certainly washing my hands afterwards but it's a consideration it's something that people perhaps hadn't thought about before but will be now Phil in Juneau Phil you're on WTMJ hello yes I believe the new paradigm is people working from home the need to live in the city close to your point of work for transit reasons that has now changed People don't have to go to cities, and people will follow jobs. So I believe that employers are going to be uh, shifting their whole paradigm Mm -hmm. and not having concentration of employees in one place. They're going to go to more centric offices with everyone working for home. I think that's going to be the driving factor. Yeah, and Phil, and also um, in saving on saving on office costs. I mean, do do you actually need to have? Three floors of of a giant high rise in you know a, a, in a particular city. Can you get away with with one floor and you know and having everybody you know work from home or work remotely? I no thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. I I think that's I think that's going to be a, a dynamic as well. I mean I, I've been telling the story. This is my fifth week of broadcasting from from home. I'm I'm in my home office and you know we've it's it's been absolutely pretty much flawless uh, about this. And do I miss the interaction of, of going into work and, and seeing my, my friends and colleagues and teammates and stuff. Yeah, I, I do. But at the same time, can you do your job in this fashion? Yes, yes, yes you, you can. And, I mean, I, I just wonder about, you know, like, how many of my other teammates are, you know, they're, they're doing their jobs remotely. We're, we're pretty much down to a skeleton crew at Radio City. And you have all these people that I, I assume are being productive. I have no indication to believe otherwise. And you wonder whether... 
businesses are going to take a look and say, okay, how, how much do we need to spend on, on office space? And, and how much, you know, from the perspective of employees, if you figure out that you can, in fact, be productive, the idea is, okay, well, all right, as long as you figure out your discipline and you can be productive and you do your job, it's like, okay, do, do, you, need to, do you need to commute and you need to figure out the cost and the wear and tear of the cars, et cetera. I just, I think I agree with the idea, and I love the word paradigm. I think a lot of businesses are going to be reexamining the paradigm after this and saying, hey, you know, can, can we do something differently? Can we work remotely and still be a team and still get the job done? All right, lots of stuff coming up on the program don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. It is always amazing to me what gets some people bent out of shape, given all that we're dealing with. You know, given all the pressures and the stresses, and, and, and everybody's under stress. It, it might be a, it's different for different people, and the stresses are different. But it's, you know, it, it's a difficult time, and we're trying to figure out the best way to get through it. And then I, then I look at what, what gets some people upset. Story in the Los Angeles Times, and probably elsewhere as well. There are a couple people who are season ticket holders to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they have just filed a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball and the various teams. And here, here's what their beef is. They, they, want, they want their money back, and they want it back right away. Now, here, here's the deal. Um, I am a, for example, I'm, I'm a Brewers season ticket holder, you know, 20-game pack. And what happens is you, you pay for it in advance. So in, in, in my case, and I, I split the tickets, I take. 20 and my, my friend my very dear friend Evan goes with me and he takes the the other 20 so we, we have two seats next to each other and you we, we've had these for a couple years and so last last fall they do the season ticket renewal and you get a discount if you renew early and so we knew we were going to do this so you know we renewed so I, I'm now sitting here and I have in my hand right now a thing of tickets to major league baseball games and so far uh, one, two, three, four games that I have tickets for have not been played. And the, the truth of the matter is they're, they're probably not going to be played. And, you know, my, my guess is, again, I, I don't know if there's going to be any more baseball games at, at Miller Park this year, which, by the way, is the last year for Miller Park to have, have that name. But, but you know, I, I don't know. But the Brewers have all sorts of issues going on. I've got all sorts of issues going on. So I, I've got I've got these tickets. I figure at some point in time, it's going to work out. The Brewers, once they know what baseball is going to do and what the schedule is going to look like, my, my guess is they will offer refunds to the fans for the tickets, or they'll allow you to just you know credit this year's towards next year. I, I mean, they'll, they'll figure it out. And I'm figuring I'm going to get my money, and it's a 20 game, and these are decent tickets. So there's a bit of money that's tied up in these. But nevertheless, I, look, there's all sorts of issues going on. I'm not worried that I'm going to not going to get my money back or be able to apply it to next year's tickets or whatever. It's just they're, they're in my drawer, and I haven't thought about it until I read this story. You have this these two guys who are 20 package ticket holders, season ticket holders to the Dodgers, they are filing a class action law. They want it to be a class action lawsuit 
they want to sue Major League Baseball, requiring Major League Baseball to refund the, the tickets immediately. And their argument is, well, gee, you got all these people that are getting laid off. They, they need the money back, etc. And so, you know, you should be getting your money back right away. Now, of course, part of the thing that baseball is going to say is, well, we, we don't know what the season's going to look like. As time goes on, they probably have a bigger indication for doing this. I guess I my, my big picture is, and look, this is, I, I'm an attorney by trade, still licensed to practice law in the state of Wisconsin. But I'm thinking, you know, there's some lawyer that ended up taking this case. Of all the different priorities that are out there, you're going to run the federal court. You're going to try to start a class action lawsuit because you haven't gotten your, your refund quick enough. At some point in time, you're going to get your money back. That, there's just no question, or you're going to have an option as to how to use it. The brewers have all sorts of issues going on. I, I, I don't think they need to worry right now about, gee, how soon do we get that money back to people? If you're a Brewers season ticket holder, you're going to get your money back. Don't worry about it. You don't need to be running to court. All right. I, I admit I am I, I'm intrigued by the story, and we had it on the news at the top of the hour, that the Tavern League's push to reopen bars and restaurants. And there's no question the hospitality industry has been hit incredibly, incredibly hard by the, the, the shutdown. There's also no question that I don't think they're being alarmist when they say that if this, if this shutdown really does go on through the end of May, you, you might be looking at, at up to 50% of bars and restaurants that aren't able to reopen. Because a lot of these places, there's huge debt. You know, there's not, you don't have that, that huge cash buildup. Um, I, I just, I think that that's a, a realistic sort of, of situation that you're going to see an entire industry that, that's decimated. Now, at the same time, we all understand that you don't want to do it in, an un, in a fashion that risks public safety. People, of course, still vote with their, their feet and their wallets, and that is, if you are if you don't feel comfortable or safe you know going into a restaurant or a bar doesn't matter whether that bar is open or not you're you're not going to go in it and I, i'll be honest it it's it's probably going to be a long time before i pile into some crowded sports bar on the other hand a restaurant that I, i'm used to patronizing and i know the people and you know there's enough social distancing yeah i'd be inclined to give that a chance but anyhow the the tavern league is saying we think we should be able to reopen May 1st. May 1st is 10 days from now, and they will have been closed taverns for, what, about six, seven weeks or whatever. They're looking for May 1st, which is a week from Friday, so about 10 days from now. And they're saying these are reasonable rules to allow us to reopen. And here they are. All employees would be required to wear masks and gloves. We would require everybody to practice social distancing of of six feet. All tables have to be at least six feet apart. The on-premise capacity of the the establishment would be reduced by 50%. And that would be an addition. It might have to be more than that when you spread out the tables six feet apart and keep people six feet apart. But the on-premise capacity reduced in half. Um, outdoor eating and drinking would be allowed. You could open up patios with six feet distancing permitted. No self-service buffets, and I think those are going to be a thing of the past. No salad bars, no paper menus, 
and no table condiments. So, I mean, the idea being, you know, they've got the mustard and the ketchup out there and the, the bottles and the, the salt, and, you know, you're touching it, and then the, the next person that uses the table touches it. But that's what they're saying. They, they think that these, they suggest that these are reasonable reasonable alternatives to allow places to open up. Now, nothing says that a place has to open up. You know, it might be that you have a bar or restaurant who says, hey, with these guidelines, we can't make enough money anyhow. You know, if we've got to reduce our capacity by this much and do all these different things, we we might as well just stay closed. Or there might be some bar or restaurant owners who say, you know what, even with this we still we, we just don't feel comfortable. We don't want to get people sick. We don't want to get our employees sick. If you're the owner, I don't want to get myself sick. So I think that there, even if you did this, there'd be some places that would decide they weren't going to open up regardless. And there's certainly going to be lots of people who decide, oh, I don't care. I, I don't feel comfortable going out to eat or I don't feel comfortable going into a bar. But these guidelines, if they were followed, is this a reasonable route to allow Places in the hospitality industry to reopen. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whether it's May 1st or April 30th or, or May 7th, is, is this is this a reasonable thing which accommodates the concerns for public safety with the reality that people want to start going out and start living their lives with the other reality that you've got these businesses that if you don't allow them to start making some money somehow beyond just, okay, the, the occasional takeout or whatever, they're going to go belly up and the businesses are going to be under and the employees are going to lose their job. Is this a reasonable way to start, I mean, gradually reopening bars and restaurants? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My, my answer is yes. Now, I, I don't know if May 1st is the magic date for it, but I, I think this is clearly the model. And the sooner you can implement this model, the the better. And maybe that means we need to start opening up, you know, allow places in regions that are less hard hit to, to open up sooner, but that's another conversation. Is this a reasonable solution and a suggestion as to how to start getting the hospitality industry back on its feet? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. <laughs> 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Patrick texts Jeff. I think it's fairly reasonable. Maybe it needs some more fine-tuning. Maybe no menus at all. Yeah, you could say, okay, the, the menu's going to be displayed on a chalkboard or on the, the wall or whatever. Um, you know, and a couple other different suggestions. I, I, again, uh, Jeff, uh, regarding bar and restaurant protocol to reopen, I would add it should be voluntary to go to them. Well, a- absolutely. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not... And, and I'm not even being flip about that because, I mean, here, here is the reality. I've told this story a couple times. I mean, I have a, I have a couple friends who are definitely in the high-risk group for, for a variety of, of factors because of age and some underlying health issues and all. And in, in, in for the, the, my two friends who I'm thinking of, I, I just I can't imagine, you know, what it's going to take for them to go back into to restaurants anytime soon just because the risk is, if they got it, it was so would be so great. But on the other hand, 
for a lot of people who aren't in those target sort of groups or aren't particularly the, the vulnerable folks, it, it might be a, a balancing sort of thing. But nobody's going to hold a gun to your head and say you, you've got to go, you know, you got to go out to dinner on Friday night. Eight five five seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Robert in Two Rivers. Hi, Robert. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? You know, that's that's part of it is that you're not being forced to go to a restaurant or a bar. I, I, that's just kind of crazy to think that, you know, otherwise. Sure. Anyway, um, bars and restaurants will become complacent within three months and disregard the suggestions of how they will handle patrons. Um, that's just, again, profit over anything else. Um uh, their best defense is probably going to be their HVAC system. Um, uh, they the air circulation, yeah. More. Correct. The, they need to adapt the system comparable to hospital um, HVAC systems where the air recovery system is pulling air from the floor to a system that filtrates and pushes that air outside and recirculates clean air in, not losing heat and so forth. Because once you get patrons in a four-wall system or four-wall enclosure, they're breathing each other's air, no matter yeah. what. Yeah, and there's always, I mean, I mean, Robert, thanks, thanks for calling. No, I, no, no I, right, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, yeah, I, I, yeah the, I mean, the problem is, I, I, I think... You, you know, especially for a, a lot of these smaller bars and restaurants that haven't had money for the last couple, you know, weeks or months or whatever, the, the idea of saying, okay, before you can reopen, you have to put in a, a new, you know, air filtration system or air conditioning or heating system that's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars. That That's just not kind of a practical thing. The question becomes, I think, more likely is, is that the chance and the risk of coronavirus minimal um again but now part of it is that we're counting on on the cooperation of people we're counting on people that hey if you don't feel good if if you've got a fever or whatever you're you're not going to you're not going to go out and you are everybody's going to maintain that social distancing now maybe you're right that that's that's going to change but at at the same time this isn't i don't think it's going to be a permanent sort of thing at at some point in time you know people are going to start to get closer and closer together, although I, I don't, like I say, personally, I, I can't imagine just crowding in shoulder to shoulder at a bar right now. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, interesting topic. Um, hey, listen, I, in full disclosure, um, I'm in the hospitality, the, the craft beer business, actually. I have a line of products that I distribute up here, and um, I, I, we can't, I can't, I haven't delivered in over a month. Um, we have very few cases up here, even up north. I think, well, you, as you mentioned, there are, are you know, what, a couple dozen counties that have no cases. Uh, right. I think people want to get away up north. I mean, it, we're, we're getting uh, into the warmer weather. And um, I think if you go by a county-to-county basis, um, it's reasonable to allow people to social distance, tables six feet away, bartenders wearing gloves, and um, hand sanitizer. I mean, we're going to have yeah. to learn aseptic technique anyway, so we, we might as well learn it now. No, yeah, th- thanks for calling. No, I mean, I'm trying to think about that, and I'm, and especially, like, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking – Especially the places that have patio dining, we're, we're starting to get a little bit nicer, 
uh, the, the temperature's not quite cooperating, but I'm thinking about some of the beer gardens and things like that. And, 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 and yeah, so yes, you're around people, but you can still separate off. And, and you're right. I mean, see, I think one of the, the things that our, our life has changed, I was just reaching in the pocket of my blue jeans and I'm, I've got my little thing of, of hand sanitizer. Before all this happened, I, I just, I never carried hand sanitizer. I mean, I, I just never did. Now I really, I don't leave home without it because it's just this is it's the routine sort of thing nowadays so if i go out to the grocery store and i i touch the cart or whatever i try to consciously and my wife is great about this reminding me this i try to consciously okay don't touch your face don't touch your eyes don't do any of this stuff even though there's somebody there that's wiping off the cart and then you know reach in soon as you're done you know grab the hand sanitizer and use it and that's i mean i think you know once we start going back to bars and restaurants and things like that that that's going to be part of of our of our everyday experience a couple of weeks ago we, we did a topic and i'm going to revisit it sometime in the very near future about you know is this the end of handshaking and you know there's there, there's all sorts of people who even before this were reluctant to to shake hands and you know i i'm not sure that this is going to completely end but at the same time because it, it is we're, we're in many cases we're a nation of huggers we're, we're a nation of you know people who that's how we, we greet we have this touching sort of thing um but there's going to be people who are not going to be comfortable moving forward with that kind of physical contact and i mean again if you're looking for an investment it's the, the people that, that make this Perel, the people that make the little pocket hand sanitizer stuff because my guess is that there's a lot of people exactly like me who don't leave home without this i think this is a reasonable proposal now it may first i don't know but but the truth of the matter is it's got to be sooner than later or you're not going to have businesses that are going to be reopened and i would apply the same sort of rules to lots of other quote unquote non-essential businesses whether it's the these the store that sells you know the trees and plants for the winter or the dog groomers or any of these other people i think that you know at some point in time we, we've got to start figuring out how to do this sooner rather than later i think we can do it in a responsible fashion or else there's not going to be i don't know what we're going to have to reopen this is jeff wagner wtmj